it's finally that time to talk about .NET Core and .NET Standard Libraries, truly one library to rule them all. On this week's show, we talk about the tooling, our experiences, and the pain that we've experienced along the way. All that and more on this week's Merge Conflict. Frank, recently I did something miraculous. I took a .NET library, a special .NET library kind, that I was able to use in both my iOS, Android applications, and also in an ASP.NET Core application, and then take said ASP.NET Core application and deploy it on a Linux server. Wait a minute. Are you stealing my anecdote? I wanted to lead with that anecdote. This is hilarious. (laughs) So how did you do this? No, I'm just kidding. So this is the modern world, right? We've always been able to share .NET code. Well, kind of, but nothing's really been standardized in a way, right? So I mean, there's all these different .NET runtimes that we're used to. And for me as a .NET developer, I'm just like, that's a runtime. It's just going to run and execute some code. But sharing code, we've talked about a lot of times. And... It's tricky because there's libraries and then there's portable libraries, then there's other sorts of libraries and they all have different junk. I I was playing the devil's advocate there. Um, I've been doing cross-platform development. That means like running code on iOS, running on Linux, running on everything I can possibly get to run on uh, forever. And while .NET is like nowadays definitely a cross-platform thing, sharing libraries has not been that great. So we all distribute our libraries pre-compiled, they're binary files, and there's been a little bit of problems in the past of being able to consume everything from everywhere. Yeah, I think that when we started thinking of this episode um, and kind of talking more about sharing libraries and consuming libraries, there's always the angle of the producer of libraries and then the consumer of libraries. And I want to really talk about both of those because it's a different Mm -hmm. experience for both of these. But sometimes, even if you're a consumer of those libraries, you still want to create shareable libraries in between all of your applications. And that's kind of what I was doing, right? I wasn't taking my, I was sharing a bunch of models between the ASP.NET mm-hmm. core application. Very important that I said ASP.NET core application. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll we'll get to that, one. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that libraries are definitely, uh, I mean, splitting your app and being able to run it in multiple places, one thing. Um, for me, it was always just a little bit of jealousy over other package ecosystems where um, if I was like a Python developer or a Perl programmer, you know, the old languages, then I could could always pull in um, a module and it just kind of worked. But I was having that frustration in the past of it not working. But as he said, .NET Core and the modern world, we got this new thing called .NET Standard. And we're fixing all the problems, right? So everything will work everywhere. I think, yeah, is Miguel fixing all the problems? Is that, is that I, kind that's of the rumor it? on the street, right? They, uh, Microsoft hired him. He came in on his first day and wielded a big sword and said, I want to fix this problem. <laughs> yeah. And I think the .NET team have been thinking of this for a while. So we've always been able to run .NET code on Linux. That's not a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Mono ran on Linux forever. Yeah. But to me, what's interesting is that we have all these different runtimes. And we have these things called portable class libraries, which we've talked about in the past and mm-hmm. in previous episodes. And even if you're not a mobile developer, everything that we're talking today applies. This applies to every single .NET developer, and it's such an important part. Yeah. Because for me, I'm creating a library, and it could just do some business logic, like some mathematical computation. And if I create a library, just a class library, that's only going to run on a certain version of the .NET framework. What I need to create is some portable code. And previously, and still currently, some people do this, Mm -hmm. and I'm moving into a world where I don't do this anymore, is... We create a portable class library and we don't want to go too deep into the woods of what that means. But essentially Mm -hmm. think of it like this is there's a bunch of checkboxes that you check of targets that you want to support. And then your scope of .NET gets very small. Yeah. So you're just picking, I want to run on iOS. I want to run on Windows. I want to run on Linux, whatever. And as you uh, keep adding places you want to be able to run, if you think about it, the library gets smaller and smaller because they're looking for a common interface. Everything, what do they all support? And that becomes what you're allowed to use. Yeah. But uh, that was frustrating, right? <laughs> because on top of that, so uh, off on the offset, that sounds fine. But the problem was we were already starting with a kind of limited subset to start with. And so if you were 
a programmer for a long time and you are used to using some uh, types and classes and objects and things like that, then uh, these PCLs flat out didn't support them for a while. Yeah, and that now, was even. <laughs> yeah, that was always my frustration with them. And is is more like you didn't know what was in the profile. Like you didn't. You just right. You kind of just checked a bunch of stuff, and you're like, oh, why? Why isn't System Net HTTP not there? And then how do I even go find if it's there? And there's a random, you yeah. know, number associated with this build. <laughs> yeah, so- the profile IDs weren't they, aren't they fantastic? So these these numbers. So so we all we weren't supposed to learn these numbers. We were all supposed to use the check boxes, but you can't tell people like in an email, check this box, then check this box, then check this box. So what we all just started doing is figuring out like the ID number used internally for the whole things, and we just started calling them by their ID numbers. What yeah. a train wreck <laughs> exactly so the data team said get out of here pcls and we're changing this we br- to, yeah. to one library to rule them all which is mm. the dotnet standard library and uh just like we have one ui to rule them all this is the library that should be the one library which is yeah. a set of of standards essentially it's like these these are apis that each version or flavor of the dotnet standard library will implement. So you as a developer know, hey, I want to run and support these five frameworks. Um, I'm going to select this version. And then I know that these APIs are in it. So I have the control. They're kind of flipping the problem. Before we were saying, what platforms do we want to run on? And then our tool would say, well, this is what you're allowed to use. Nowadays, it's saying, this is what I want to use. And it's really up to the platforms to keep up. And so in the past, it was a real scattershot of what each one actually supported. But nowadays, with the standard, we're going to have a thing where it says, we're only ever basically going to add to the standard. Like, we're (laughs) never going to really remove from it. So if you focus on a version number of the standard, you are going to get everything that uh, guaranteed it's going to run on all your platforms minus bugs (laughs) yeah exactly it's super exciting for me because i mean this is what we've always wanted this is what we always kind of told ourselves that we had but it was kind of honestly a pain in the butt and so now we're not really kidding ourselves we finally do have a very simple way to share code with one another which is really what we all want to (laughs) do Yeah. And the nice thing now is that this is supported. You can essentially kind of think of it like I can use any tooling. I can consume it by any .NET, you know, application, whether it's ASP.NET Core, .NET Core, .NET Framework. So that's like Mm -hmm. a WPF application or WinForms app, a Xamarin or Mono app, a UWP app, a Windows app, a Windows Phone app. Like all these things can consume them and the tooling supports it. So even in Xamarin Studio, you can just say, oh, I want to create a .NET standard library, and then I can share it between different things, and then I can open that one on Visual Studio in 2015 and 2017, support it. Mm-hmm. 2017, really good. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but I think I still think that there's some confusion in, in uh, the market, I would say, of, of yeah. I don't know if we're describing this really correct, but it is a standardization of APIs of .NET code, right? Just because I can install it in an iOS or Android or Windows app doesn't mean I'm putting iOS or Android code there. This is a unification of yeah. the .NET libraries. Basically, .NET got fragmented, and we're trying to glue it back together. I mean, put as most basic as you can. Yes, yes. And I just keep saying it's exciting because um, just anecdotally, I got two fun anecdotes for this. Um, One is I actually use the command line tooling for .NET Core, which is this new version of .NET meant to run on Linux, meant to run everywhere, but whatever. It's just a new runtime. But the thing is, I actually compiled some code on it, produced a DLL, and then consumed that in my iOS app for this really cool library, by the way, called mono.cecile. It's really cool check it out. And I was just so excited because in the early days, um, .NET was just everywhere. So I could compile a DLL on .NET and actually put it onto Xamarin. Now the tool would complain left and right. It's like, yo, yo, uh, there could be some APIs missing here. This thing wasn't really built for it. Uh, This is totally not going to work. But turns out the tool was wrong and it worked just fine it was i I built apps like that forever and i just ignored the warning but at some point in time they turned that warning into an error and my life got so much more complicated yeah it, it it really did all of a sudden and i think that even when i go and talk at conferences 
there's this confusion of how many how many of you in the room know what a portable class library is and <laughs> you know like nobody but like how do you mean how do you know what a li- a library is and think of it as like if i'm now going to be creating a new application i'm never just going to create a class library unless i'm creating a class library where it contains like android or ios or uwp logic mm-hmm. right that's yeah. where i'm going to create a class library for that app for just .net code I'm going to put that in my .NET standard library. And I think as a consumer, not much changes in in, in that. So if I'm con- a consumer, you're already consuming them via NuGets and you don't even know about it, probably. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actually going to say that as a consumer, you will notice a difference. And that is you can all of a sudden use a lot more libraries that you couldn't use oh. before. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the biggest difference because there's a few libraries that I'm just like, why doesn't this stupid thing work on iOS? I really want it on iOS. And yeah. so with the standard, oh, thank God, that'll just go away. And I can just, NuGet will become a real candy store. I mean, it already is. You just walk through there and steal other people's code. But <laughs> now it'll feel like you don't have to worry about anything yeah i think that people's confusion will be over like for like let's say entity framework for instance there's entity framework core which oh my god with the version numbers man i i can't keep track of the version numbers they reset their versions to one and now like what now there's two entity framework ones yeah well there's entity framework and entity framework core but the difference here is that like entity framework core has nothing really to do with dotnet core it's just a dotnet standard library so you can totally consume that 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 (laughs) entity framework core in your xamarin application yeah basically microsoft just started using the word core everywhere it was like the word of the year or something like that so you have to be a tiny bit suspicious whenever you see the word core you have to decide does this mean core runtime or does this mean dotnet standard that kind of stuff because to just confuse things a lot more uh .NET core apps can compile .NET core libraries or .NET standard libraries so you actually have the option so it gets confusing but basically what i really want to do is just like brainwash the current .NET community and just forget PCLs forget history like i just want to reset i just reset on .NET standard forget the past it's murky it was scary and just move forward so yeah. please everyone just update <laughs> and the best thing that you can do is this, is when you look at a NuGet package it's so easy to comprehend so if i go to sqlite.net pcl which definitely needs to be renamed to official oh, sqlite.net yeah, <laughs> um, from kruger um <clears throat> so in the dependencies you will see dotnet standard 1.1 and we're going to talk about that right now because mm-hmm. as a consumer and a producer <laughs> you need to worry about these but that means that a dependency is this thing called dotnet standard which means that frank in sqlite-net <laughs> pcl which is no longer a pcl which is a dotnet standard library yeah, is a dotnet standard library Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. You just, yeah. Okay. You just pointed out that I'm actually making the situation worse and confusing everyone. Right. But the point here is I actually converted what was a PCL library and kind of still is to a .NET standard library. And the idea here was I'd already written this thing. It was already fine, but I wanted it to run everywhere and I wanted it to work in the future because the future is .NET standard. And so I I bit the bullet and converted the thing over uh, to .NET standard, which turned out to be super easy from a producer's point of view, by the way, like, you really don't have to do much because it turns out to really add to the confusion. PCLs are pretty compatible with .NET standard. So uh, yeah, you can just copy your PCL into the .NET standard directory and everything just works. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I would recommend. Don't try to do a conversion. Just create a new one and then copy the files over and select yeah. what what um, version of .NET standard you want. So you selected 1.1, for instance, which means that you support everything except for Windows Phone 8.0 Silverlight. Oh, God, that Silverlight. Like, it just doesn't work with anything, huh? And actually, in this case, uh, I lucked out. Eric Sync did all the hard work. SQLite, my library, uses another library. This is the whole world, right? Every library has dependencies on every other library. That's why it's important that we all standardize. Well, he did the hard work of actually getting... Um, all the low-level calls, all the actually platform-dependent stuff working in a .NET standard way. So he's a great role model for seeing how to do this kind of stuff. Uh, but at the same time, he made my library super easy because I just take a dependency on him. Yeah. And, and you said there's that, there's that backwards compatibility. So for instance, today, if there are only portable class libraries and you need to consume them into a .NET standard library, you can do that. There's a little flag. I have a blog post on it that I'll link. 
And the reverse is true today. It's actually more seamless the other way around, where if you have a portable class library, you can easily consume .NET standard libraries um, based on the version that they are, right? So if they're a lower yeah. version, once you get into the higher numbers, and we haven't even talked about these numbers, so we're probably yeah, going to confuse not, people. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to say, so the PCLs are not dead because it was a technology and library authors certainly are going to be shipping PCL things uh, for a while. But I really want to make it clear, let's get away from them ASAP. Let's just... If you're shipping a PCL project as a producer, just it's that time of year. You got to update your project once in a while. I'm just kidding. We all update continuously, right? But anyway, get it over to .NET Standard, please, because the confusion is just too confusing. Let's just <laughs> move on. Yes. No, it's very true. I literally just went through some of my blog posts, the one I'm going to link to here, which is installing a PCL onto a .NET Standard library. And what I'm going to be doing is all of my plugins, I'm going to be converting to .NET standard libraries, Ooh, really? moving. Yeah. That's it, a big it, deal. It's, it's time as a, as a, as a creator, as a creator of these libraries, the biggest drawback was tooling. Cause I knew yeah. in 2015 in visual studio 2015, that it was all going to change in visual studio 2017. <laughs> right. So I'm like, why do I want to go through all this work? If I literally know everything is going to change. And I happen no. to know when the release date is because I work at Microsoft. So what, you know, these, when, you know, these are the exact thoughts going through my head leading up to me switching my library over because I was just like, well, Hey, uh, going back in history again, uh, the project file format changed at some point. We, we were all rewriting our project files into this new format, and it was a real pain in the butt. I really didn't want to do it. I didn't fully understand the new format. I didn't know how to do anything. It was such a learning curve. But then someone told me that little PCL trick of you just put it in the right folder and everything just works. Um, so I was able to finally do that. But now that we actually have the tooling, like it's literally, it's like a checkbox or something. You're just like, yep, make this a standard thing now. I want to I wanna live in the future. I want everyone to be able to use my library. Make it a standard. Yeah, make it a standard. And and so so when you said earlier, and I'm going to talk about these versions because they are important for oh, producers. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm holding off the version talk. <laughs> so it's very easy. It's super easy. All right. The graph yeah, is terrible. The graph is terrible. But think of it like this is you have you have versions of .NET standards. You have 1.0, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, 1.5, 1 1.6. 1 Those are the versions that exist today. And you said it earlier, and we'll reiterate that, which is that you never remove APIs, you only add APIs. So 1.0, that is the, the key. The key is right there, yeah. 1.0 has the fewest amount of APIs that are implemented and are available, but the most platforms. Now, as you start to go up, APIs are always added. So APIs are never removed, which means that if you create a 1.0, all those APIs you use will be in a 1.1. Same thing, right? So it keeps going up. Yep. But as you go up, so as soon as you hit like 1.3, you lose support for Windows Phone and WinStore 8.1 applications, for instance. Right. And once you get past 1.4, uh, you're going to lose support for UWP version 10. And Xamarin and .NET Core um, and the .NET Framework itself, like WPF and WinForms apps, sit in this beautiful, nice place mm -hmm. where we have so many .NET APIs. Unfortunately, for all of us Windows Phone, Windows Store, UWP developers, Microsoft did this thing way back in the day where they removed all the .NET libraries from the <laughs> Windows platforms for some ungodly reason. But anyways, I'm going to be corrected. So when you think of it like this is for me, I just kind of the new tooling in Visual Studio 2017 is really nice. It's just a combo box and it seamlessly will tell you what's con what's available where. So for me as a library creator, I want to pick the lowest version possible so yeah. i support the most packages as a consumer i want to pick the highest number possible so i get the most apis mm -hmm. based on what i'm what what i want to publish is yeah, my I'll just I'll just clarify that consumer part. So as a consumer, as in I'm writing an app, basically your platform is going to ship with its compatibility with .NET Standard. So Xamarin right now will say, we are .NET Standard 1.6 OK. That means you can use all the APIs up to 1.6. So if you, you can import a library that's 1.1, because by definition, 1.6 contains everything in 1.1. So the world, from a consumer's perspective, is pretty trivial. I don't even think you have to pay too much attention to these version numbers, because you'll just know this is um 
I think it's going to be like basically a selling point if the stuff <laughs> was for sale anymore, but it's not. It's all open source, but it would be a selling point of saying, you know, new version of Xamarin now, .NET 1.7 compatible. By the way, there is no 1.7. Don't listen to me. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, from a consumer's perspective, super easy. From a producer's perspective, yeah, just pick the lowest version you can. That might change, actually, in the future, because we are getting .NET Standard 2.0, which yes. uh, it's going to change a few things. Hopefully not too many. <laughs> so so 2.0 is going to be amazing. And uh-huh. before we talk about our experiences with just .NET Standard in general and some of our frustrations, I want to talk about the the bright beautiful future which is 2.0 because oh we're going there oh yes (laughs) miguel has talked about it a lot emo has talked about it a lot and these are some people in the in the dotnet scape and rich lander who's the principal pm of of .NET, has talked about a lot too is even in 1.6 there's a lot of apis but there's a lot of apis missing because um well i guess if i look at it like this (laughs) because of history there we go and for me as a library, yeah, Silverlight. And, and the problem, yeah, that's correct. It's, the problem today is that UWP sits in 1.4. So me as a library creator, an app creator, I'm like, oh, I can't do 1.6, which has all these good APIs because I may want to do UWP or support that platform. Now in 2.0, though, um, they're changing a lot of things. One. In a good way. In no a, schism, in a, no more fracturing because we're still sticking to the rules, mostly additive, additive. <laughs> yes, an additive way. So they are adding back like thousands of APIs or something like crazy <laughs> in 2.0. Well, and, I mean, I'm laughing because, but that's the whole reason I think we're using .NET is for all these libraries, right? Like for mm-hmm. me, the language is a huge part, but I'm, I'm, I'm promiscuous with my languages. You know, I can jump around a little bit, but what I really miss are the libraries. Like there's, what 15 years of code written and shared throughout the world and you want access to it yeah absolutely and i think that what's happening is that since windows 10 is still an evolving platform um they are going to be able to add apis into windows 10 itself which means that once windows 10 updates .NET Standard 2.0 will come out, .NET Core um, 2.0 will come out, .NET Standard 2.0 will come out, Xamarin will just support it because we already support these APIs. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll link to Emo's blog post specifically on this he, where he reintroduces the <laughs> API in, in 2.0. But While we're... Oh, sorry. But while we're talking about emo, I have to mention he did uh, a bunch of YouTube videos uh, describing .NET Standard. And so I highly recommend you watch those. They're all kind of short little clips. And he's he's great on camera. What a funny guy. And he's got this great Christmas episode, or I call it the Christmas episode. I think he had a Christmas tree in the background. In my mind, he was drinking red wine, but it's emo, so it was probably a beer or something. But it was just like, felt like a very holiday spirit. Let's talk about this very technical subject with box diagrams but the video was excellent so just shout out to emo and his videos yeah it's going to be pretty great so kind of moving forward you know if again i'm going to link to his blog post 1.6 and 1.4 are very good today so like there's no reason not to kind of move over to dotnet standard i mean there are a few that we'll talk about in literally five minutes (laughs) but 2.0 any pain points that i think you may be experiencing today as library creators as we move to dotnet standard it's going to alleviate a lot of pain. So when yeah. Frank, you just said, let's do this library creators. I was against it for a while. I wasn't ready. No. We talked about this six months ago. I said, I'm not ready, Frank. I'm not ready. Uh, I can't we do put it. This now I'm episode ready. off. We've been talking about doing this episode, I think since the beginning of the show. And we were like, uh, do uh, I think we just ask each other, do you understand .NET standard yet? And I'm like, eh, 80%, 50%. <laughs> and we would just keep asking, do you know it yet? Do you know it yet? So I'm not sure we both know it in its entirety, but I, I've definitely come to the realization that we just have to move forward um, and that this standard is basically just a win on every side. So it's really up to us to move forward. Yeah, I just looked at our topic sheets. We have 186 topics that we <laughs> have wanted to talk about .NET Standard and .NET Core was a topic that we listed number four. Four. (laughs) (laughs) Took us a little while (laughs) to get our confidence up. Honestly, it was quite confusing for a while. Yeah, and I think think it's a great time. I've always said it's a great time to be a .NET developer. And I think now as we see this unification come together, it's really good. So here's what it really means is that I create a library. It can be run on any .NET platform, right? So it could be 
.NET Core, .NET Framework, Xamarin, UWP, Windows, it doesn't matter. And what's cool here is that now any .NET runtime that may be created, and there's other ones out there, not just these, oh, yeah. can implement the .NET standard. Case in point, I'm going to point this out before we get into our frustrations, is that you know Microsoft has worked really um, hard with this company. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're called Unity. Oh, um, what, they make toasters? Yes, they no. make toasters um, <laughs> and and cameras. And um, <laughs> no, Unity is the most popular game engine in the world. And they used Mono forever, but an old version of Mono. They are now Super moving. <laughs> they are now moving to our version of Mono, which is under MIT, which means oh, yeah. that they will then support .NET standard libraries. So imagine that you can create a library that runs on the server inside of your game on your Xamarin application on your Windows phone or WinPhone or WinForms application, right? It doesn't matter. It's just one library that works. I'm like, oh, I've wanted this forever, and now it's totally going to work. So as we think of these embeddable and new use cases for .NET, if we just come together on this standardization, (laughs) which I know people on Twitter, like Oren, are just going to be like, I told you this a year ago. That's totally fine, (laughs) Oren. Oren, we're not as smart as you. It takes some time, okay? (laughs) Yes. And and, and now I'm happy enough to say that the tooling is really good. Is is almost near perfect. Yeah, um, I I want to I want to go back to your Unity thing because I was uh, of course playing stupid there. But um, Unity is amazing. Xamarin is amazing because it can run on iOS, Android, and Mac, and probably a few other places. Unity is also amazing because it'll run everywhere on the Xbox, the PlayStation, the browser, on Steam, which I guess is just a PC, but whatever. Um, Unity is an amazing cross-platform thing. So to be able to share code with that world and for our like the mobile world to finally really mix with the gaming world, because my God, there's so many Unity libraries out there. Um, it's just such a bonus. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it. Now, this is all we've been praising. Can we get negative now? <laughs> yeah, we've been praising um, the the .NET standard for a long time. But you, like you said, it's been a long time since we've even since day one of merge conflicts. We've wanted to talk about it, but we haven't, and that's because of these frustrations. Is that for a long time it just wasn't good enough? It wasn't yeah. standard enough. It the tooling wasn't there, and like I said, I don't want to implement things five times. So I'll let yeah. you go off, but I have a great. <laughs> compatibility story later so i'll just let you go to town no i I already mentioned my initial frustration and that was in in the early days the only way again this is all confusion because i'm wrong but what i thought was the only way to build these things was to use dotnet core and dotnet core was such a change from the other systems that i mentioned you had to change your project files and things like that so from a producer's standpoint i just didn't you know dotnet core was unstable it barely ran on the mac you know Uh, so just I just didn't know what to do. Um, fast forward, learned that little PCL trick of you can just recompile things and put them in the right folder. Uh, magic trick. Okay, so that's a little alleviator. But um, even today, like the tools just aren't quite perfect. Like if I start a new iOS app and I import a .NET standard library, what I'm actually going to do is, thanks to the crazy, not hacky, but <clears throat> hacky way it was all implemented, you end up downloading potentially like 130. If you if you used every function in the library, you would download 130 extra DLLs into your app, which I don't know. I'm an old school programmer. Like I want my whole app to just be one executable. I, I'm finally learning that I can use other people's libraries and I can have multiple, but 130 <laughs> to do like to just import one library. And the worst part there is it shows up in the tools, this long list of 130 libraries. And you're just like, well, which one am I actually using? And which one just got imported because of history <laughs> and terrible hacky decisions <laughs> and things like that. And so I think that's my biggest frustration today with consuming uh, these things is just the tooling. The tooling's been improved, but it's still not not all the way there. Yeah. And I think this is because of the, the there's been eight flavors of CS Proj, right? There was <laughs> this tried and true CS Proj, which had a... Pro, Worked uh, for 10 years. It was fine. <laughs> packages.xml, right? So we had our packages. And the thing that I think that you're seeing now in some Xamarin developers are start seeing is that it's still using that classic approach. Now, what's interesting is when you install, let's say, SQLite-net, it will download all these NuGets, but it doesn't actually add the libraries because 
Xamarin already has those libraries, right. you know? Yeah, it I just was being... adding tons of nougats for no reason. Yeah. Which is strange. Yeah, that, that's the current pollution that I was talking about. I misspoke. You're right. It, yeah, you get a large package list. Yeah, library-wise, you are fine. But um, if you're like me and you don't really remember package names, you end up having to read through that list like 10 times a day trying to remember which package you're looking for and versions and, and things and like that. updates and you're like, oh, oh the versions. Know. And they're confusing. Like the versions mismatch a little bit. Like some of them are on like 4.0, others are 4.1. And you're like, is that good bad do i have to make sure all the versions match and everyone's like no the versions don't need to match and you're just like great nothing means anything the world is trivial <laughs> i'm going on vacation yeah and and in the future whenever xamarin moves over to this word but the, some existing projects so if you just create a .NET standard library inside of your cs project there is um, i just did one file new .NET standard library in visual studio cool. 2017 there is five lines oh yeah in my cs proj which says I target .NET standard 1.4. Now under the SDK, there's all of those little things, but there are no nougats. There are no things on there. And I think that is what we'll essentially move to in the future where, oh, I'm creating a Xamarin application that is a .NET standard 2.0 SDK that I am using or something like that, right. that I can consume as I don't have to do all these little things. Um, and the problem was here, I think in tooling is that 2015 and 2017 are very different. So you probably created your PCL, you know, or your, your SQLite net in 2015 and things are going to change in 2017 <laughs> for you for the yeah. better, totally for the better, for the better. It's all for the better. Um, yeah, th this, this was an interesting development. The reason they changed the file format was because I think they're a little jealous of <laughs> the other, the other programming languages that had very human readable and very human editable project files. And so as .NET developers, we've always been kind of reliant on our IDEs. Most people are reliant on Visual Studio. I'm relying on Xamarin Studio. And we just expect GUIs for everything because we have high standards. And <laughs> it's freaking 2017. <laughs> so we just expect GUIs for things. But um, in the other worlds, they had human editable files. And so you just pop them open in a text editor, change around your project settings, build, la-di-da, here you go. And so they wanted that in the .NET world. And so they started playing around with the file format. And then things got crazy for a while. We all started using JSON. Then that, that got killed, thank God. And But the, the, the result of it was our current file format got cleaned out. The old CS proj files used to contain tons of junk that the IDE just dumped in there for whatever reasons, because it was in the mood. But nowadays, we've really taken the humanist approach of make these files editable and understandable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that for right now, it'll be interesting to see how this progresses. And I think that there's going to be still some frustration as Xamarin Studios or Visual Studio for Mac moves to this world or yeah. how VS Code, because the idea of .NET Standard 2 is that you could use VS for Mac, VS for PC, mm -hmm. you could use command line, you could use VS Code, and they all should work very similar. So there's going to be some it's still new, growing right? Pain. So growing pains. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I feel like we've been through growing pains for the last few years. But I think also the reason we're doing this episode is we're finally starting to see light at the end of the tunnel because, yeah. you know, the IDEs are finally starting to catch up. Yeah. In 2017, I, I will say um, this weekend, I officially uninstalled all of Visual Studio 2015 oh, off of that. every machine. Gone. I did a blog Crazy. post. Crazy. Crazy how to man. clean you, your machine. You never upgrade to the point oh. You wait for the point one. Service no. release one. I'll go get it. <laughs> no, it's ready, baby. It's good to go. And so I so uninstalling Visual Studio 2015 is not an easy task because you uninstall it, but we all know Visual Studio leaves about a bajillion things installed in your machine. Dude, I love going to that screen that has like Visual Studio this, Visual Studio that, just the uninstall screen on Windows. And you're just like, check all. Nope, can't do that. One at a time. One at a time. Let's, <laughs> let's do it, baby. So I, yeah, I went through and I cleaned out all these machines. And, you know, 2017 installed really seamlessly. And it's good to go. I'm very happy with it. Awesome. And I'm very happy when you do file, like I said, file new project. Holy crap. They're literally first class citizen. This is what I'm talking about. First class first citizen. Class, yeah. .NET standard. It got is a little there. bit of GUI in there. Got some checkboxes, things like that. Yes. Yeah. And the beauty is you should be able to just take that directory, throw it over to Linux. This has always worked in .NET, but the library situation, as we've talked about, you should be able to just take that directory and type .NET 
build .NET restore and then .NET build <laughs> something like that. I'm trying it to remember work. my core stuff. <laughs> yeah, it should work and it should be good to go. I'm very, I'm very excited about that. And I think the tooling has gotten really good, but I think my frustration now is going to come less in the tooling since the tooling has been fixed. I think there's still some confusion. My problem is that us as library creators yeah. that we haven't done our due diligence and didn't suffer like Oren and the, and the, everybody else <laughs> to suffer through this. Um, and case in point. So this weekend I had a Twitter storm. I got to have a Twitter storm every once in a while. Was it like at ungodly hours or what time of day? It's important. It was, it was, you know, end of day on a Friday type of deal. I see. Uh, so just let it linger for the weekend <laughs> and then wake up on Monday morning where everyone at Microsoft has emailed you and said, Hey, what's going on? Um, yeah, you seem distressed. Uh, yeah. could we, uh, help and could you shut up? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so uh, here's the problem. Here's my frustrations with it is that they're so PCL set to solve all these problems that we had. Right. And even in PCL, the problem was that we were missing APIs. So something came in to alleviate that, was, which was additional NuGet packages to replace functionality that was missing in PCL. So for instance, if you select every checkbox, then you don't even have system.net.http. So Microsoft created all these libraries in PCL world to do re-implementations to get this stuff. So you could install the Microsoft.net.http library, oh, and then I boom, you have thing. it. So, <laughs> I've had to struggle with him on the past. He never would work on iOS. <laughs> never. It's always frustrating. And there was lots of problems with it. And they fixed some problems. And, and now I just wanted to go away forever. Yeah. But I was doing a demo. I was getting ready to do a demo. And I wanted to take just kind of the default blank application with like Azure mobile apps, like a very simple to-do list. And I wanted to say, listen, like I can move all of this Azure mobile apps logic um, and all my backend code into a .NET standard library, and it would be hunky-dory. And I did that. I created a new .NET standard. I selected 1.4 so I could include UWP. I moved all that mm -hmm. stuff over. And things were mostly happy until I tried to compile, and it gave me this really gross error, which was... Oh, my God. Um, it goes system.net.http lives in both 1.1.50 and 4.1.5.0 or something. And I'm like... Uh, oh it's mind-boggling i get that one almost on a daily basis i don't know the bug's not quite that bad but it's there and it's infecting everything um and it's yeah, a real cleaning work we need to do like how do you fix it so this one can't be fixed this has uh, to be this yeah, is because so. <laughs> this was th so here is here's what happened is essentially azure mobile apps um supports every single platform under the sun so um, what that means is that they include as a dependency system net HTTP. Yeah. Now, normally you'd be able to get around this using a binding redirect. Um, well, getting technical, but yeah. So some binding. low level trick I can do. Yes. And, uh, binding redirect, uh, works inside of like a application level. It says, Hey, I know that there may be conflicts of DLLs here, but really use mine, like really use <laughs> this version. Ignore that. Yeah. And that would totally work. The problem here is that like binding redirects, they, they don't they don't work in .NET standard libraries according to Emo because <gasps> the SD yeah the well it automatically handles it during the build or something like that. And I went on this big That's Twitter thing. Yeah, yeah. And so we we figured it out. You shouldn't the, the idea is you should need binding redirects. So the problem here is that yeah this. And then there's a conflict in in names that it was Microsoft Net HTTP and then System.net HTTP. Uh, Things get really confusing. Yeah. So, 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 so. What has to happen here is that Azure Mobile Apps and anyone else using this freaking library <laughs> needs to drop it and implement a .NET standard implementation. And now once that happens, I can yeah. just consume it into a .NET standard application and no conflicts because we're in this weird part where like, this weird backwards compatibility thing with BCL and all the stuff that we worked right. around to make our lives wonderful are now getting in our way. And it's time to evolve. Like you said, yeah. time to evolve, but and it'll I think get there. It'll get there. But the situation you just described of getting these really obnoxious and hard to comprehend, let alone fix errors has been basically the situation for the last year of us trying to use this thing. And so again, we're just, seeing some light at the end of the tunnel and it is up to the library authors to adopt this but <laughs> but i'm happy 
Yeah, I'm happy. I'm, I'm not going to let it get me down. Like, I, I think we suffered through a year of pain, and now it's time to just start fixing things and move on. Yeah. <laughs> the nice thing is a... As a library or as an app creator, I mostly still use shared projects, let's be honest. <laughs> but, yeah, well, um, hey. <laughs> but, you know, uh, shared projects are nice because then I don't have to worry about any of this junk. But the nice thing is that all of my client applications will consume this stuff. So I think it's really important for the library creators to do it. But even, you know, thinking of distributing li- libraries internally at your company or externally, mm-hmm. too, is this .NET standard thing is going to really help things a lot. Yeah, and I think um, uh, just another sh- uh, word to the library people out there, let's all bump our version numbers pretty significantly. Like, make it clear that you're changing something fundamental here. Like, we're upgrading. Like, I know Roslyn switched from 1. whatever. They're, they're up to a 2.0 now. They probably bumped for other reasons, too. But I'm just noticing a lot of libraries are really bumping. JSON.net bumped a full version. You know, make sure you do your semver and make it clear to people this is an actually kind of a major upgrade because while it all should work (laughs) i know because i've gotten uh some issues on github that it doesn't always work so you gotta keep an eye out right now yeah yeah Um, i'm a big fan of bumping versions like making i was i was updating a package before and i had all these uh i was adding some new functionality so i'm like this is like a dot release or in between the the second one Mm -hmm. but i was like man i have all of these deprecated functions in there like you know what we're moving them all tearing them out like it's time they've been in here for two years time you know um yeah so i i love semver uh semantic versioning so that that's the idea of um the difference between minor and major updates but the thing that i worry about is like the chrome world where you're doing a major version bump every time so you're on version 42 version 43 version 44 it feels a little bit like crying wolf to me like it's hard to tell what's actually a major update versus a minor update like did you change something fundamental here as in new dependencies on a whole new <laughs> library import framework so um I don't know where I'm going with this other than people get control of that major version number <laughs> and I use will, it only for wise situations. No crying wolf. I will put the, I'll put the Semver in the show yeah, notes. So you guys classic. Can. Yeah. We're using, by the way, whenever, whenever I say I'm putting it in the show notes, it's actually totally in the show notes. We're using this new fireside feature that is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, to add the show notes and, and our show notes are f- spectacular. Um, anything else you want to talk about .NET standard? I want to get into some listener feedback. What do you think? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think we did an okay job. Uh, no. Berated people enough, right? Let's yeah, all I think update. so. Good it's job. a very, it's a very lovely time for developers. I am very excited. So plus, I'm excited for listener feedback. So let's do some of that. I'm very excited. Now, this is a new thing that we've been starting up, which is getting feedback. You guys have been, guys and gals out there, have been emailing us and um, posting comments on MergeConflict.fm and tweeting at us. We figured we'd just take a few minutes at the end of each episode to reply, actually. We usually reply, but kind of reply to all of our amazing listeners. <laughs> so um, so first thing I want to go to, this one's from Ben. This is from, um, from Ben Serap. That's what I'm going to go with here. <laughs> um, says, loves the podcast. Thanks. Appreciate it. He said, this topic request couldn't fit into a tweet. Totally fine. You can email us. Go to mergeconflict.fm. Um, essentially says um, he was hoping to hear us talk about a little bit of how we manage um, an open source application that is also published to the app store. So maybe it needs some private assets such as images or keys. You know, do you put it on GitHub? What is your recommendations? And we had a whole episode talking about how to manage libraries a lot, but not necessarily apps. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Do you do this at all, Frank? No, I, I've I've avoided this so far. Um, technically, I do have one app out there, Elcar's Reader. It's this awesome RSS reader that probably doesn't work on I- any iOS version past iOS 5. <laughs> and it's technically open source, and it's technically on the store, but I don't maintain it very much. <laughs> yeah. So, so this, is a, this is a hidden James uh, secret, is I used to attempt to do this, which was have open source applications where I also publish those same open source repos to the app store. This, um, people were stealing my code, stealing my keys for like analytics and things and became too complicated. So I still open source a lot of my applications, which is one of my favorite um, parts of my job to give back. But what I do is I create a private, like I literally fork it. Oh, 
No, this is smart. Okay, so mm-hmm. you, you, you have an open source project, but then you, James, have a personal fork of it, which perhaps contains all your private keys and things like that. So if someone wanted to take the open source project and publish it, they would have to get all their own private stuff. So that, I think that that's a pretty darn good solution there. Yeah, and that's nice because then people in the community can give feedback, maybe apply some new things. I can. It's a little bit more management on my side because I have to then, you know, put put code in two places. But uh, mm. off, you know, or mostly what I'll do is I'll work on a big three O, and then I'll move it to the open source, rip out all the stuff, and then do it that way. Yeah, it's it's all how good are you at Git? Because basically, you can have a pretty fluid movement between the two projects. Uh, so it's just how much do you want to synchronize them in that, but. That sounds like a good one, because I could not imagine a different way to do this. How can you not accidentally publish a key? It's just too easy. <laughs> it's nearly impossible. It's too hard. So my recommendation is don't try to do it. That's my, <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it's unfortunate. Uh, that's a downer. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. <laughs> Split it into two. One public, one private. Yeah, that's how I do it. Um, it's been working really well for me, like, for the last year. So That's a real pro tip. like it. Yes. So this one's actually from, funnily enough, episode 31, One UI to Rule Them All, (laughs) um, from Rob Prouse, I want to say. He said, Frank mentioned that he hates implementing iNotify property change for all bindable properties. Doesn't everybody. I know I do. I hate it. He said, stop the pain. Check out propertychange.fody. Fody? Fody. And there's a link to a GitHub. Yeah. It is a weaver, I don't know what that means, that modifies your code after it is compiled to inject property changed events. All you need to add in is an attribute called implement property changed. So this is a genius project. There's actually two projects being described here. And I'm actually going to start with Fody itself. And I don't know how it's pronounced, so I'm just going to call it Fody. So Fody is this nice concept of, okay, so I wrote my code. It went through the compiler, or maybe even before the compiler, but it did that. But now I want to do a second pass on that code and maybe do some automatic code generation of things that maybe I didn't feel like typing in myself, but they're just boilerplate. Like, I just want some things to happen. And in general, the style of programming, well... This is like a necessary tool to a style of programming called aspect-oriented programming, where you write your application kind of in the most basic, simple way, so that like it's very simple, the logic is plainly evident and all that. And then you add aspects to the program, like security, or uh, um, I don't know, <laughs> security is always a big one. So, um, you know, access lists and things like what's allowed to do what, um, how are things stored in a database? That's an aspect of the data. It's, it doesn't drive the core of the application. It's just a part of it. Another one is interfacing with the user interface with these I notify property changes. So anyway, the point is, you want to have these tools that do a second pass, but you you're always having to write a one-off tool. This library, Fody, kind of wraps together all of these post-processors into this one nice pluggable interface and dispatch point so that it becomes easier to write these post-processing steps and encourage the style programming. In this case, they did something awesome, and they generate all the code that I don't want to type in to uh, notify the user interface of changes. And that is freaking awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I I am so I'm kicking myself because I've always wanted a library like this. And I didn't know the stupid thing existed. I'm just like, Oh, I'm an idiot. I like this. I'm gonna probably I've seen it being used a bunch of times. And I'm a big uh, fan of not using things that I haven't created. So I'm not a big fan of not using things I haven't created. It's like when I start a project, I go to Nugent, I type in my name and I insult my junk. (laughs) Only my stuff. (laughs) Only my stuff, please. Or things I've contributed to, but this looks pretty good. And I like that there's some minimal things on it. So I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, the scary thing with these post-processors is because they're all kind of bespoke that God knows what bugs they're accidentally introducing into your code. And so you can be a little scared and a little defensive of these. But if thousands of people are using them, chances are it'll probably work fine for you. Yeah. Last one, real quickie, real quickie. And this is going to go to you, Frank. Mm. This is from Anteo. Uh, this is from oh, several months ago, actually, episode five. <laughs> I'm going to pull it out of the archives. <laughs> wow. Out of the archives. This is about programming languages. Um, and he was asking, he was really interested in learning F-sharp, which I know that you're a big fan of, Frank. Yes, And sir. he said that he was having a hard time applying it to um to his work essentially because mm-hmm. he says everything else i'm stumbling upon like reactive ui and dotnet core and xamarin forms everything just shows c sharp and c sharp yeah. everywhere is there a smaller use case that you could recommend 
for F sharp? Oh, for F sharp? Um, you know, F sharp to me is uh, the king of data processing. And the idea is I have a bunch of data in one form and I need it to be in another form. And I think that that's where F sharp really shines because it's very excellent at describing data, the metadata, the schema of the data. So you say like, this thing should have a first name and a last name. And then when I transform it, it should have a last name and how much money they're making in the universe, whatever, stupid things. But I think it's really good at data processing. Um, I think it just, it's vastly superior than any other language I've actually tried to use. I think it's better than SQL even for data processing. And so that's its first place. Whenever you have to do a data transform or anything like that, it just falls into F sharp. Now going back to his thing of you're always seeing code examples in C sharp. That's true. But the nice thing to keep in mind is you can always use F sharp as C sharp. It can do everything that C sharp can. So you can actually verbatim pretty much uh, copy and paste that code in, remove some semicolons, clean it up a little little bit and it should just basically work so yeah translating c sharp to f sharp in your head on the fly becomes a necessary skill but then like i said there are places where f sharp just shines and i think it's data processing so maybe a little bit of smaller projects perhaps maybe i don't some know things. this is another problem with uh perception and all of that honestly i think if i'm building a very large app i would want to do it in f sharp because i want reliability i want quality i don't want null reference exceptions anywhere in my app so like a lot of people there's the common sense of like yeah it's great at these little data processing things and i just i just did it myself i just said that but in my heart of hearts, what I actually believe is that F Sharp's the best thing if you're building a big app. Like if I had to build something truly big, like say an IDE that runs on an iPad, I would probably write it in F Sharp. I'm a C Sharp person, C Sharp all day. Yep. Um, all right, so cool. I think that's about it for this episode. We've gone way over time, but way I really long. like these. <laughs> uh, you know, we could have ended early, but we wanna, we wanna, we want to hear and respond and interact with all of you amazing listeners that have been tweeting at us, been emailing us and just really supporting the show. We love all of you so much. We really can't appreciate enough. And usually this is the time where I wrap up and I say, Hey, go leave us a review and go send us an email and do all this stuff and do all that stuff. That'd be great. But I have a different ask today, which is we are trying to make merge conflict grow even larger. And we love hearing from all of you. And we know that all of your friends and your coworkers would love to hear about merge conflict. So if I was to have one takeaway, which would be, what could what could our listeners do to really help out the show? Um, feedback's always good, but maybe introduce one of your friends or your coworkers or go into that Slack channel and recommend merge conflict and share it with one friend, maybe two friends, maybe your entire workforce, <laughs> whatever you want. Yeah. And let them know this is an awesome show that you've really enjoyed and we would just be smitten with... Um, um, with love and kindness. Um, and so if we, if we get that exponential growth, we should have like a million listeners by next week. That'd be awesome. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. <laughs> That'd be really cool. That'd be awesome. And thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Frank, thank you for arguing and discussing this. I believe that we did have some merge conflicts on this one. Um, <laughs> this is <silly>. terrible. <laughs> terrible. All right. Well, I am James Montemagno, and this is Merge Conflict. And with me each and every week is my good friend... I'm Frank Krueger, and thank you for listening to this extra long episode.